A decade ago, before the Supreme Court eliminated Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, in the 2013 case Shelby County v. Holder, it required voting districts with a history of racial discrimination in the electoral process to pre-clear their district maps with the U.S. Attorney General's office. After the completion of the 1990 census, North Carolina was apportioned one extra seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, which meant that North Carolina would have 12 congressional seats going forward, and that meant that their congressional district map had to be redrawn. When North Carolina submitted its first redrawn district map for Section 5 preclearance, the Attorney General rejected it as it provided only one majority black district even though over 20% of their population was black. Had the districts been divided in a way that was representative of the racial breakdown of the population, one would expect that a 20% population of black people would have at least two districts in which they could elect a representative of their choosing. North Carolina's second attempt at the drawing board added another oddly shaped majority black voting district to satisfy Section 5 preclearance requirements. Ruth Shaw and a group of other like-minded Caucasian residents of the new snake-like majority black District 12 sued the United States Attorney General for requiring the creation of a second majority black district in the first place. The question before the court in this case, was whether the North Carolina residents claim that the state created a racially gerrymandered district raised a valid constitutional issue under the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. The court, divided along partisan lines, said yes. But this case doesn't necessarily end here, because the court remanded back to the lower court and eventually the map was ordered to be redrawn again in 1997, and yet again ended up back before the Supreme Court in 2001 in Hunt v. Cromarty. Since this case went before the court 30 years ago, North Carolina has consistently been caught up in similar legal battles over congressional redistricting. And now, the 1993 landmark opinion of the court in Shaw v. Reno. Justice O'Connor delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Rehnquist and Justices Scalia, Kennedy, and Thomas joined. Justice White filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justices Blackman and Stevens joined. Justices Blackman, Stevens, and Souter filed dissenting opinions. This case involves two of the most complex and sensitive issues this court has faced in recent years. The meaning of the constitutional right to vote, and the propriety of race-based state legislation designed to benefit members of historically disadvantaged racial minority groups. As a result of the 1990 census, North Carolina became entitled to a 12th seat in the United States House of Representatives. 
the General Assembly enacted a reapportionment plan that included one majority black congressional district. After the Attorney General of the United States objected to the plan, pursuant to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the General Assembly passed new legislation creating a second majority black district. Appellants allege that the revised plan, which contains district boundary lines of dramatically irregular shape, constitutes an unconstitutional racial gerrymander. The question before us is whether appellants have stated a cognizable claim. Part 1. The voting age population of North Carolina is approximately 78% white, 20% black, and 1% Native American. The remaining 1% is predominantly Asian. The black population is relatively dispersed. Blacks constitute a majority of the general population in only five of the state's 100 counties. Geographically, the state divides into three regions, the eastern coastal plain, the central Piedmont Plateau, and the western mountains. The largest concentrations of black citizens live in the coastal plain, primarily in the northern part. The General Assembly's first redistricting plan contained one majority black district centered in that area of the state. Forty of North Carolina's 100 counties are covered by Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which prohibits a jurisdiction subject to its provisions from implementing changes in a standard practice or procedure with respect to voting without federal authorization. The jurisdiction must obtain either a judgment from the United States District Court for the District of Columbia declaring that the proposed change does not have the purpose and will not have the effect of denying or abridging the right to vote on account of race or color, or administrative preclearance from the Attorney General. Because the General Assembly's reapportionment plan affected the covered counties, the parties agree that Section 5 applied. The state chose to submit its plan to the Attorney General for preclearance. The Attorney General, acting through the Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division, interposed a formal objection to the General Assembly's plan. The Attorney General specifically objected to the configuration of boundary lines drawn in the south-central to southeastern region of the state. In the Attorney General's view, the General Assembly could have created a second-majority minority district to give effect to Black and Native American voting strength in this area by using boundary lines no more irregular than those found elsewhere in the proposed plan, but failed to do so for pretextual reasons. Under Section 5, the state remained free to seek a declaratory judgment from the District Court for the District of Columbia, notwithstanding the Attorney General's objection. It did not do so. Instead, the General Assembly enacted a revised redistricting plan that included a second majority black district. The General Assembly located the second district not in the southern central to southeastern part of the state, but in the north central region along Interstate 85. The first of the two majority black districts contained in the revised plan, District 1 is somewhat hook-shaped. 
Centered in the northeast portion of the state, it moves southward until it tapers to a narrow band. Then, with finger-like extensions, it reaches far into the southernmost part of the state, near the South Carolina border. District 1 has been compared to a Rorschach inkblot test and a bug splattered on a windshield. The second majority black district, District 12, is even more unusually shaped. It is approximately 160 miles long and, for much of its length, is no wider than the I-85 corridor. It winds in snake-like fashion through tobacco country, financial centers, and manufacturing areas until it gobbles in enough enclaves of black neighborhoods. Northbound and southbound drivers on I-85 sometimes find themselves in separate districts in one county, only to trade districts when they enter the next county. Of the ten counties through which District 12 passes, five are cut into three different districts. Even towns are divided. At one point, the district remains contiguous only because it intersects at a single point with two other districts before crossing over them. One legislator has remarked that if you drove down the interstate with both car doors open, you'd kill most of the people in the district. The district even has inspired poetry. Quote, Ask not for whom the line is drawn. It is drawn to avoid thee. Unquote. The Attorney General did not object to the General Assembly's revised plan, but numerous North Carolinians did. The North Carolina Republican Party and individual voters brought suit in federal district court alleging that the plan constituted an unconstitutional political gerrymander under Davis v. Bandemer, 1986. That claim was dismissed, see Pope v. Blue, and this court summarily affirmed. Shortly after the complaint in Pope v. Blue was filed, Appellants instituted the present action in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina. Appellants alleged not that the revised plan constituted a political gerrymander, nor that it violated the one-person, one-vote principle, but that the state had created an unconstitutional racial gerrymander. Appellants are five residents of Durham County, North Carolina all registered to vote in that county. Under the General Assembly's plan, two will vote for congressional representatives in District 12, and three will vote in neighboring District 2. Appellants sued the governor of North Carolina, the lieutenant governor, the secretary of state, the speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives, and members of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Together with two federal officials, the Attorney General, and the Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division. Appellants contended that the General Assembly's revised reapportionment plan violated several provisions of the United States Constitution, including the 14th Amendment. They alleged that the General Assembly deliberately created two congressional districts in which a majority of black voters was concentrated arbitrarily without regard to any other considerations, such as compactness, contiguousness, 
geographical boundaries, or political subdivisions, with the purpose to create congressional districts along racial lines, and to assure the election of two black representatives to Congress. Appellants sought declaratory and injunctive relief against the state appellees. They sought similar relief against the federal appellees, arguing, alternatively, that the federal appellees had misconstrued the Voting Rights Act or that the act itself was unconstitutional. Appellants contended that the General Assembly's revised reapportionment plan violated several provisions of the United States Constitution, including the 14th Amendment. They alleged that the General Assembly deliberately created two congressional districts in which a majority of black voters was concentrated arbitrarily, without regard to any other considerations, such as compactness, contiguousness, geographical boundaries, or political subdivisions with the purpose to create congressional districts along racial lines and to assure the election of two black representatives to Congress. Appellants sought declaratory and injunctive relief against the state appellees. They sought similar relief against the federal appellees, arguing, alternatively, that the federal appellees had misconstrued the Voting Rights Act or that the act itself was unconstitutional. The three-judge district court granted the federal appellees' motion to dismiss. The court agreed unanimously that it lacked subject matter jurisdiction by reason of Section 14B of the Voting Rights Act, which vests the District Court for the District of Columbia with exclusive jurisdiction to issue injunctions against the execution of the Act and to enjoin actions taken by federal officers pursuant thereto. Two judges also concluded that, to the extent appellants challenged the Attorney General's preclearance decisions, their claim was foreclosed by this court's holding in Morris v. Grissett, 1977. By a two-to-one vote, the district court also dismissed the complaint against the state appellees. The majority found no support for appellants' contentions that race-based districting is prohibited by Article I, Section 4, or Article I, Section 2 of the Constitution, or by the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment. It deemed appellants' claim under the 15th Amendment essentially subsumed within their related claim under the Equal Protection Clause. That claim, the majority concluded, was barred by United Jewish Organizations of Williamsburg, Inc. v. Carey, 1977, or UJO. The majority first took judicial notice of a fact omitted from appellants' complaint, that appellants are white. It rejected the argument that race-conscious redistricting to benefit minority voters is per se unconstitutional. The majority also rejected appellants' claim that North Carolina's reapportionment plan was impermissible. The majority read UJO to stand for the proposition that a redistricting scheme violates white voters' rights only 
if it is adopted with the purpose and effect of discriminating against white voters on account of their race. The purposes of favoring minority voters and complying with the Voting Rights Act are not discriminatory in the constitutional sense, the court reasoned, and majority-minority districts have an impermissibly discriminatory effect only when they unfairly dilute or cancel out white voting strength. Because the state's purpose here was to comply with the Voting Rights Act, and because the General Assembly's plan did not lead to proportional underrepresentation of white voters statewide, the majority concluded that appellants had failed to state an equal protection claim. Chief Judge Voorhees agreed that race-conscious redistricting is not per se unconstitutional, but dissented from the rest of the majority's equal protection analysis. He read Justice White's opinion in UJO to authorize race-based reapportionment only when the state employs traditional districting principles, such as compactness and contiguity. North Carolina's failure to respect these principles, in Judge Voorhees' view, augured a constitutionally suspect and potentially unlawful intent sufficient to defeat the state appellee's motion to dismiss. We noted probable jurisdiction. Part 2. Section A. The right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is the essence of a democratic society. For much of our nation's history, that right sadly has been denied to many because of race. The 15th Amendment, ratified in 1870 after a bloody civil war, promised unequivocally that the right of citizens of the United States to vote no longer would be denied or abridged by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. But a number of states refused to take no for an answer and continued to circumvent the 15th Amendment's prohibition through the use of both subtle and blunt instruments perpetuating ugly patterns of pervasive racial discrimination. Ostensibly race-neutral devices such as literacy tests with grandfather clauses and good character provisos were devised to deprive black voters of the franchise. Another of the weapons in the state's arsenal was the racial gerrymander, the deliberate and arbitrary distortion of district boundaries for racial purposes. In the 1870s, for example, opponents of Reconstruction in Mississippi concentrated the bulk of the black population in a shoestring congressional district running the length of the Mississippi River, leaving five others with white majorities. Some 90 years later, Alabama redefined the boundaries of the city of Tuskegee from a square to an uncouth 28-sided figure in a manner that was alleged to exclude black voters and only black voters from the city limits. 
Alabama's exercise in geometry was but one example of the racial discrimination in voting that persisted in parts of this country nearly a century after ratification of the 15th Amendment. In some states, registration of eligible black voters ran 50% behind that of whites. Congress enacted the Voting Rights Act of 1965 as a dramatic and severe response to the situation. The act proved immediately successful in ensuring racial minorities access to the voting booth. By the early 1970s, the spread between black and white registration in several of the targeted southern states had fallen to well below 10%. But it soon became apparent that guaranteeing equal access to the polls would not suffice to root out other racially discriminatory voting practices. Drawing on the one-person, one-vote principle, this court recognized that the right to vote can be affected by a dilution of voting power as well as by an absolute prohibition on casting a ballot. Where members of a racial minority group vote as a cohesive unit, practices such as multi-member or at-large electoral systems can reduce or nullify minority voters' ability as a group to elect the candidate of their choice. Accordingly, the court held that such schemes violate the 14th Amendment when they are adopted with a discriminatory purpose and have the effect of diluting minority voting strength. Congress, too, responded to the problem of vote dilution. In 1982, it amended Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to prohibit legislation that results in the dilution of a minority group's voting strength regardless of the legislature's intent. Section B. It is against this background that we confront the questions presented here. In our view, the district court properly dismissed appellant's claims against the federal appellees. Our focus is on appellant's claim that the state engaged in unconstitutional racial gerrymandering that argument strikes a powerful historical chord. It is unsettling how closely the North Carolina plan resembles the most egregious racial gerrymanders of the past. An understanding of the nature of appellant's claim is critical to our resolution of the case. In their complaint, appellants did not claim that the General Assembly's reapportionment plan unconstitutionally diluted white voting strength. They did not even claim to be white. Rather, appellant's complaint alleged that the deliberate segregation of voters into separate districts on the basis of race violated their constitutional right to participate in a colorblind electoral process. Despite their invocation of the ideal of a colorblind constitution, appellants appear to concede that race-conscious redistricting is not always unconstitutional. That concession is wise. This court never has held that race-conscious state decision-making is impermissible in all circumstances. 
What appellants object to is redistricting legislation that is so extremely irregular on its face that it rationally can be viewed only as an effort to segregate the races for purposes of voting, without regard for traditional redistricting principles and without sufficiently compelling justification. For the reasons that follow, we conclude that appellants have stated a claim upon which relief can be granted under the Equal Protection Clause. Part 3. Section A. The Equal Protection Clause provides that no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Its central purpose is to prevent the states from purposefully discriminating between individuals on the basis of race. Laws that explicitly distinguish between individuals on racial grounds fall within the core of that prohibition. No inquiry into legislative purpose is necessary when the racial classification appears on the face of the statute. Express racial classifications are immediately suspect because, absent searching judicial inquiry, there is simply no way of determining what classifications are benign or remedial, and what classifications are in fact motivated by illegitimate notions of racial inferiority or simple racial politics. Classifications of citizens solely on the basis of race are by their very nature odious to a free people whose institutions are founded upon the doctrine of equality. They threaten to stigmatize individuals by reason of their membership in a racial group and to incite racial hostility. Accordingly, we have held that the 14th Amendment requires state legislation that expressly distinguishes among citizens because of their race to be narrowly tailored to further a compelling governmental interest. These principles apply not only to legislation that contains explicit racial distinctions, but also to those rare statutes that, although race-neutral, are on their face unexplainable on grounds other than race. As we explained in Feeney, a racial classification, regardless of purported motivation, is presumptively invalid and can be upheld only upon an extraordinary justification. This rule applies as well to a classification that is ostensibly neutral but is an obvious pretext for racial discrimination. We've come to the end of part one of this opinion, but don't worry, next episode we will pick up right where we left off. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.